All right, so let's get started. This week is Parshas Shalach, and I thought I would focus on the Ebenezer's in relation to Tzitzis. So in order to set this up, we have to remember a concept that we've dealt with in the past, that the Ibn Ezra, unlike the Ramban, feels very strongly that the Torah is not written in chronological order, as opposed to the Ramban, who feels that by and large, the Torah is written in chronological order. And therefore, unless the Torah forces you to take it out of chronological order, for example, by opening up Parshas Bamidbar, Sefer Bamidbar, by saying, that it was in the second month of the of the second year. And then we go to Parshas Baleshcha, and we're talking about the first month of the second year, and talking about the Korban Pesach. So in that situation, you're forced to say, that it's a muktumuch. In that situation, you cannot read it chronologically. In Parshas Nasser, when you're having the situation of the Nasiim and the Chanukas HaMishkan, obviously that's being written out of order, it needs to be connected back to what we had in Parshas Shemais and Parshas Shmini, etc. So in those situations, the Ramban agrees that one would take things out of the chronological order. But generally speaking, the Ramban feels very strongly that every story that we find, every parasha, is following the one before that because it's chronologically connected. It happens subsequent. Therefore, for the Ramban, Tadarshan, the smuchas of a parasha, isn't so imperative. For the Ibn Ezra, who feels differently, for the Ibn Ezra, who feels that the Torah does not always follow chronological order and is much more willing to say as compared to the Ramban, where there is no sort of being forced by the chronology as written in the Torah. For example, very famously, the Machlekes between the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra about when Yisroi came. By Yishmael Yisroi came, what did he hear, when did he come? So according to the Ramban, he understands that the Ibn Ezra and others say that he came after Mantar, but for the Ramban, you have to take the puzzle at its face. And he came before. I had no idea with Parsh Baloisla, and Yisra is over, seemingly over there. The Ramban has his way to explain it. But Parshas Yisra, when Yisra comes, must have taken place before Mantar. According to the Ibn Ezra, no. Yisra came after Mantar. Yisra came after the, the Binyan Amishkan. Yisrael came much later. Why is the Torah putting it before? That opens up a question of, of why the Torah feels the need to juxtapose certain things. The Ibn Ezra has many proofs to say why he came after. Okay, maybe it helps make the sense of the story that there was a Mishkan, that they were shecht and karbonis, not having to build them as beach. Maybe it makes sense that they were coming to Misha to see what Hashem says, that they had some sort of a Torah or whatever to dispute about. Maybe that all makes sense, but at the end of the day, chronologically, it seems to be before Mantara. So for the Ibn Ezra, if he's saying it's after Mantara, but the Torah put it out of order, there must be a purpose. <laughs> there must be a reason. 
And that, for the Ibn Ezra, is everything. It's the darshan of the smuches. To understand this juxtaposition of certain parashas together when they don't necessarily have to be together from a chronological manner. So we have to be putting on our antenna, our super sensitive antenna, to smuchais when dealing with the approach of the Ibn Ezra. So the Ibn Ezra has a whole arichas to explain why after the story of the spies, we have the rest of the parasha. Right after the story of the spies, we start talking about Karbanis, and we talk about the Mekayshesh, and we talk about Parsha of Tzitzis. What does it have to do? Right For the Ibn Ezra, remember, we're not being forced to say that this happened chronologically in theory. It could have all happened at any particular time, and the Torah is putting it together. So you would think that you, when you come into a schedule like this, that your antenna has to be on. What is the connection of these various parshias to shlach, to the spies? Nothing to do with each other. So if the Torah is putting it together, then there must be some real big reason as to why. However, you would be surprised, because the Ibn Ezra doesn't say, seem to suggest that at all here. Says the Ibn Ezra, when we open up the parsha of the Karbanis, after we finish talking about the parsha of the spies, of the Meraglim, so we open it up by saying, when you're going to come into the land of your inheritance, and people are going to do sins, and they're going to bring Karbanis, and the Sachim, and all the various different laws associated with it. It says the Ibn Ezra, Nismachazes the parsha, the reason that the Torah discusses this parasha right after the parasha of the spies is because it opens up by saying, when you're going to come into the land, because the Jewish people, after the situation of the spies, didn't believe that they would be entering into the land of Israel. When they heard what the punishment would be, that everybody's going to die in the midbar from that generation, they thought everyone's going to die in the midbar. They're really never going to make it to the land of Israel. So if they're never going to make it to the land of Israel, they were despondent. They felt very hopeless. Remember, this is already not just after the Parsha of the spies, it's also after the Parsha of the Mapilam. These are the people that couldn't live with themselves, and they tried to make a run for it, make, a, make a, an attempt at assuaging their guilt, their palpable sense of guilt that was very much penetrating them and unable to live with themselves given the sin of what they had just committed. So they attempt to go it alone. And of course, if Eli stuff, that's going to fail. So we're after the double whammy, all these people that, you know, were guilty from the sin of the spies and they died and the generation is condemned. And then all the people that attempted to make a go of it on their own, they're all gone. So now you have the generation that's going to be remaining, the new generation that's going to make it into the land of Israel. They have a feeling that they're going to ever get there. So because they're feeling very down, the Torah opens up a new parasha, which is fundamentally disposed, it's fundamentally based upon a supposition that you will be in the land of Israel. It's Kisavayo arts, So that make people feel much happier and much more excited and much more believing that they have a chance to get into the land of Israel. And the Ibn Ezra continues, and he says, this is the reason why in this Sajra we're talking a lot, in this Parsha of the Karbanas, a lot about Karbanas. Because the Pasuk is telling you, they were all forgiven because of the Tefillah of Moshe, but they had done wrong. So therefore the Torah is talking about 
תשובה and sinning, it says, it's a good, right? If you make a mistake, b'shoege, v'nistach, v'chadas, v'nei Yisrael, k'lechol ha'meshkaga, you have the concept of sinning, and the concept of forgiveness, and the concept of being in Eretz Yisrael, all shmush together in one parasha, in order to be able to, one, make the people who didn't believe that they're going to get into the land of Israel believers, and also to intimate, also to hint, and to allude to the fact that, yes, it's true, you just all sin, but there is a way out. It's not going to be easy, but there is a way out. There's a way to do shuva. And all of that is encompassed in the next parsha of the karbonus, of the chatos, of the, of, the, of, of the way of making atonement uh, for one's sins. This is the approach of the Ibn Ezra, of the smichos al-parshins. But if you think about that, then that should tell you that we're not darshaning smichos here because something happened at a different time, right? If, if, if anything, if we're talking about the parsha here of Eretz Yisrael, to make the people less despondent, that means it had to have been told to them. In other words, us as the reader to see the juxtaposition is not going to make us any happier or less happier. We're already long after the, the entering into Eretz Yisrael, the Chorbanus, all of that. So it makes no difference to us as the reader. But to the B'nai Yisrael as the listener, the only way this is going to be relevant to them is if this is what the parasha that they're learning right after. That is to say, the Ibn Ezra here is not darshaning a smichos that is trying to explain why something is outside of chronological order. No, here this, Ibn Ezra is doing the reverse. He's saying this is in chronological order. This story of the parish of the Karbonis is in chronological order. It did follow what happened right after the spies. And you know why? Because the Hashem was trying to ameliorate. He was trying to make them feel better. And he was also trying to allude that sin doesn't prosper, but there is a way out. There is a way to be able to uh, there is a way to be able to re- rehabilitate oneself after a sin. This is the approach of the Ibn Ezra to why the Pasha of the Karbanas is there. And then the Ibn Ezra continues and he says that we also mention in there somebody who doesn't just sin in Meshayge, he does a real sin on purpose. He's a Bemezid, he's a haughty person, arrogant, who decides that he's right, that he knows best. And he goes against the will of Hashem. That's another lesson, that's another hint to the Miraglim, to the people who sinned because they had too much arrogance. It's Remez Lamasem, to Remez, a hint, an illusion to those that sin during the times of the Miraglim. And then he says that's what the Mekayshesh was. The Mekayshesh, the story happens and it's included. Whether it happened directly afterwards or not, it's not clear, but he's somebody who sinned beyond Rome. He's somebody who sinned in the way that even Ezra is learning, not like some who want to say the Mekayshesh was really a fantastic, wonderful person. He was trying to teach the Jewish people the Hilchah Shabbos. That's not the approach that Ibn Ezra is going on. The approach that Ibn Ezra is going on, Pasha Pshat, is that the Mekesh was a bad person. He was Mechal Shabbos. He did it amazing. He was, he was a Yad Roma. He did it arrogantly. He did it with the conceit. He did it thinking he knows best. And so we're including the Mekesh because we just mentioned the Biyad Roma. And why do we mention the Biyad Roma? Because we were alluding to the Miraglim. That's the, the approach of the Ibn Ezra. So then we end up with the Parsha of Tzitzis. What's the reason for the parsha? It says the Ibn Ezra, 
the reason that the parasha of Tzidus comes next is because of Hashem's tremendous mercy, his tremendous feeling of warmth to the Jewish people, and therefore he gave them the mitzvah of Tzitzis, so a person should never sin, a person should never sin with a strong hand. This is the approach of the Ibn Ezra. That is, the parish of the Karbanis cannot be stated that it would happen outside of chronological order. It happened because of its, it happened specifically, it's part and parcel of the chronology. It's listed here specifically because it happened right after the spies. The smichas that the Ibn Ezra is darshaning is the connection of these two parshias, the parsha of the spies, the parsha of the Malpilim, and the parsha of these korbanas. That, for the Ibn Ezra, happened all at one time. And the reason that, that, that it is being listed right after is because that's when it happened. And why did it happen right after the Maisha of the Miraglim? Because it's meant to be able to inspire the next generation to believe that they have a chance to enter into the land of Israel. They might have thought that they don't have a chance to enter in. This parasha presupposes that they will enter, so therefore enables them to feel better about themselves. Once I have this parsha of the karbana, of the of the of the chatos, of the mesachim, and all of that, and I allude to the sins of the miraglim by saying, and I allude to the potential forgiveness for someone who does something wrong by saying, etc. So then we mentioned the Mekoshish because they also happened beyond Rama. But here I don't have to say that it happened specifically at this time. It's just a connection of beyond Rama, beyond Rama. And then I can mention the Parsha of Tzitzis, which is the antidote to acting beyond Rama. The idea that you, if you look at the Tzitzis or Isamas or Scharton, it's called Mitzvah Hashem. Right. If the more you look at your tzitzis, the more you concentrate on what it means, the more you are prevented from sinning. So therefore, for the Ibn Ezra, it's a beautiful segue to explain how you get to the parsha of tzitzis from the parsha of the spies. But only the parsha of the karbonis, only the parsha of the chattas, and only that, that parsha has to have happened in chronological time after the mice of the, of the spies. The other two parshas of the Makoshesh. And the parsha of Tzitzis could have happened at any other time, but the Torah is juxtaposing it here specifically because there's a connection to the wider story. That is, if somebody seeks to rehabilitate themselves, somebody seeks not to sin, if somebody does sin in, a, in, a, in an inappropriate way, these are all what the subsequent parshas after the parsha of the Maragam are dealing with. That's number one. And by the way, this idea that the Torah is putting in the, the, this parsha of the of the uh, supposing that when you're going to be coming to the land of Israel is also said by the Rashi and by the Ramban everybody says the same that says Rashi Hashem as it were gave them a surah Torah that they're going to eventually get into the land of Israel when the Ramban says, Hashem promised the children that they're going to come into the land of Israel, that, that they, they would know that the Nechama, that even though their parents and, and family had all passed away, that they themselves would get in. So it was they were like losing hope. 
they say what's going to happen, who knows what's going to be with us to say for Abraham Shana, maybe we won't make it in. Maybe if we sin, we're never going to get in there. And when Hashem is commanding them with the laws of the land, that it was clear before Kaddish Borchu that they would make it into the land of Israel. The next even Ezra that I wanted to focus on in relation to um, this point is just a very interesting philological point. The Ibn Ezra says that the word salachti, we normally think of the word salachti as forgiveness. And so um, the Ibn Ezra comes to point out that the word salachti doesn't actually mean to fully forgive at all. He says, because if you look, for forgiveness for the Jewish people, then Hashem says, Hashem says, okay, I forgive you. And then the next words are and but we're going to get rid of all the people of this generation that cried. They're going to be able to, you know, go around the desert for 40 years. They're going to be able to go around and they're going to die here. They're going to die here. That is to say, according to the way that Ibn Ezra is learning, just because Hashem said, doesn't mean that you're fully forgiven, says the Ibn Ezra. So, so that tells you, it just means that Hashem is extending his anger. Until the person does true, true tshuva, the anger, the difficulty is still going to remain. So this um, helps to explain in part why the Jewish people were so scared they wouldn't make it in, because there was still there was still a problem. Just because they were forgiven, their forgiveness was we agree to move on. We agree that life must continue. But it didn't change the fact that there was a massive sin that was committed, and then that massive sin was not ameliorated. What was agreed was, we'll move on. And this, by the way, is the connection. We don't actually know when the Pasha of Karach takes place. Maybe we'll deal with that next week. But when you go and you skip from Pasha's Karach to Pasha's Kukas, and Pasha's Kukas, you're already dealing with the 40th year. Miriam dies, Aaron dies. You're already at the end. You're at the end of the journey. And here we're in the beginning, in the second year. So what happened? What happened during the 38 years in between? The answer is nothing happened. Many point out that there was no nevoah. From even my Shabbat, there was no connection. That is, yes, it's true. Hashem said, I'm forgiving you. And I'm forgiving you in a very, very, very basic way. It's not a fulsome level of forgiveness. It's not a situation as a dentist, not like a zachiyas. Like Rish Lager says in the end of the Gemara Yuma, that you could turn around your terrible sins and make them into, into mitzvahs. No, that was not this. What this was, was in effect, it's we're married till death do us part. There was a big problem. We're going to stick with each other. We're going to remain married. But that problem hasn't been resolved and won't be resolved.
So as we said, the coin to the Ibn Ezra, a person, and, and so therefore that's what my, my, my point is, so therefore that's why it makes sense that you understand the context of why HaKadosh Baruch Hu needs to come even Achanam a little bit, to remind the next generation that even though this dark day, even though this first generation is going to be no more, and they're not going to be able to rehabilitate themselves in, in a fulsome way at all, nevertheless, you are going to come into the land of Israel. And the Kodesh Baruch is being of that. That is the thrust of why such an acham was needed, even though there was already a slicha. There was a slicha, but it wasn't a full. It wasn't a full one. All right. So the Ebenezer says like this. He says that what's the reason that a person has to wear tzitzis? Remember, we're wearing tzitzis at the end. Says the Ibn Ezra, the smichos of parashas for why we included parashas tzitzis in parashas shlach was to avoid biad rama, that is, a person acting bemezed against the kadosh baruch a person rebelling, that will be stopped, that will be prevented by the wearing of tzitzis. In other words, it's not just the kind of gemaras you know that we have about uh, Rabbi Elazar ben Dudai had a famous gemara. Right, the Gemara about Azar tells us that Rebbe cried three times. He cried. One of the times that he cried was this time of our blessed Ben Dudai. Another time he cried about a cross the Nuri Baruchin Ben Tradin. And he cried by the um, by the guy who was mal himself on his way to the gallows. And he said in each case that there is there are those that are Kainer Lomai, Mishra Achas, and then there are those that are Kainer Lomai. Via, via an entire life. And it's a whole, whole discussion, a tangential point as to why was Rabbi Bacha, Bacha Rabbi, why did Rabbi cry? My two cents on it has always been that quote, Rabbi felt that Rabbi was crying, he felt emotional <coughs> because Rabbi stands for the proposition of being kind of being kind of after a lifetime of Yigiyah, after a lifetime of work, like Gemara tells us in the end of Ksubis, that Rebbe is a Kaddish, his whole life was spent mastering his soul, mastering over his body, a whole life spent never doing anything in any way inappropriate, not in the material world, not in the area of, of uh, intimacy, that, that Rebbe's whole entire life is dedicated to Kedusha, and that's a slow path every day incrementally better. But then you have these three people who get on the Autobahn, you know, the speedster track. Elizabeth Daya, he was uh, the biggest fornicator around. He runs around the whole world. And, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, it's only at the end that he, 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 he turns around to, to do tshuva or the class of Tanuri, he's a, he's a murderer, he's, he's an executioner, he's killing people. Or this, um, you know, this guy who who uh, decided that he's gonna, um, you know, convert at the moment. All these people managed to get to a very high place without having to put in a lifetime of work. Or perhaps to say it even better, they spent a lifetime going in a different direction, and at the last moment, the moment of truth, to 180 degrees opposite. That's difficult to substantiate for someone who's been trotting along slowly, incrementally over a whole life. Perhaps that's the reason that everybody's crying. In any event, so you have a person 
he goes to uh, to do an inappropriate activity, and his sisters, um, you know, stand there as a reminder um, that that uh, that he shouldn't be there. Right, it says to as a reminder they shouldn't be there. So the tzitzis are there, but they're there to remind the person that they're not supposed to be following after their their desires, after their base desires. So says says the Ibn Ezra, that's why it was placed in Pasha Shlach. The Ibn Ezra then goes after the people that wear their talis during davening, only during davening. And says the Ibn Ezra, the, the mitzvah applies when you have a begad of arba kamfis, right? That's what we say, lahalacha. Right? Then that sense, mitzvah says this is a mitzvah kiyumis. It's not a mitzvah kiyumis. If you don't have a begad of arba kamfis, you don't have to wear it. But if you do, then you then you have to. So if you have a begad of arba kamfis, so then you have to wear tzitzis. And what do you do with this? She is scarcer by the Tomid, really, ideally, you should be covering yourself with the tzitzis all day long. And you shouldn't take it off from your body. You should wear it the whole day. Why? So you should remember HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You shouldn't follow after your desires. Says even as those that wear the talas during davening. They're doing it so they can wear the talus when they're saying Shema, because the Parsha of Kriyashma talks about the tzitzis. So they're very excited to wear the talus during Davani so they can talk about the tzitzis while they're wearing the tzitzis. However, says the Ebenezer, it makes more sense to me, says the Ebenezer, that a person should be responsible, should be required to wear the tzitzis. During the rest of the day, not during davening. Why? Because once the chance that you're going to do an avera, sure, there's a chance maybe you're going to do an avera during davening. You know, maybe you're going to, um, you know, walk into somebody's uh, arbaamis, or you know, maybe you're going to be in battle. Uh, you know, the, the tefillah and not have correct kind of kavana. Maybe all that stuff is possible. But uh, says the Ibn you cannot compare the possibility and the plausibility of doing an Avera outside of davening and within davening. The, the likelihood of, of somebody doing an Avera when he's not davening is far greater than when he's in the middle of davening. Therefore, says the Ibn Ezra, if the whole point of the tzedis is to ensure that there's no Yad Ramad, that there's no somebody doing an Avera against the Kadosh Baruch Hu, a much better shot to make sure he's not going to do the Avera if he's wearing the talus, if he's wearing the tzedis outside of davening, rather than inside of davening. Inside of davening, obviously, he's not going to do an Avera. It's very rarely that if you have big Averas committed during davening. Sure, you know, this is Ian Tfilo that's missing. Fine, somebody's not davening with Kavana. But, but big Averas during davening are pretty rare. The big affairs will happen outside of davening. So therefore, says the Ibn Ezra, in the, in the context of saying that the mitzvah of tzitzis is there, as trying to prevent the person from going down a path where he's going against the Kodesh Baruch Hu. so then ideally such a person should be wearing the talus outside of davening, not inside of davening. Not that he shouldn't wear it during davening, but that's far less important. And this, this is something the Ibn Ezra doesn't just say here. In his commentary on in Parsha Shlach at the end, but the Ibn Ezra says the same thing in his Yisrael Mera, in his philosophy book. 
Uh, we've quoted the Ibn Ezra philosophy book before. So in the Ibn Ezra philosophy book, he says the same idea in, in uh, Parakei. The Ibn Ezra says, V'yeshmeh mitzvah shehem liskar l'mitzvah shehem ha'ikar. He says there are mitzvahs that are there as a zecher. They're there as a zikar and for the fundamentals of Judaism. Like what? Like Shabbos. The Shabbos of fundamental remembrance of the fact that there's a creation is, as we pointed out in the classes on the Rashbam a few years ago, where we mentioned that according to the, the Rashbam pointed out the whole reason for talking about the creation story by Hulu was only because of the fact that we wanted to talk about by the whole six days of creation was just for by Hulu. And Vaichul was just there to explain was just there to explain that is the full reason for mentioning the whole creation story was for the culmination, was for the seventh day, was for Vaichul. And Vaichul is just there to provide a context for why there's a mitzvah of Shamas in the first place. And that's Adibris. Says the Ibn Ezra, Shamas a fundamental mitzvah. It reminds us of the Ikrim. And that's true, the same thing about you making your servants not work. Also, again, about the Zecher for Yitzhak Mitzrayim, right? And um, where they didn't give the Jewish people any day off. And he says, well, what the mitzvah of Pesach and the mitzvah of Matzah is obviously um, symbolic of the of what Hashem did to the Jewish people's homes in, in Mitzrayim in relation to the Pesach and the Matzah in relation to our running out of Egypt quickly. So these are all fundamental mitzvahs that exist in, 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 in the 613 mitzvahs to remind you of the various ikarm in, in Judaism. And uh, Ibn Ezra continues, and he said, Mary says, so too is the mitzvah of mezuzah, the mitzvah of tzvillin, and the mitzvah of tzitzis. So the mitzvah of tzitzis is just as vital as reminding you about the fundamentals of Judaism like it is Satan Kiddush, keeping Shabbos. They're both fundamental reminders of, of Ikarim in Judaism. Continues the Ibn Ezra, and he says, Even though when it comes to Tzitzis, the Tzitzis, the lack thereof, is not Ma'akiv anything at all. And he says the same way that Mar is not Ma'akiv Matzis, just like Mar is not Ma'akiv the Mitzvah of Matzah. And then even I said something amazingly interesting and very early on to have noticed this. Says the Ibn Ezra, look at the tchelas that exists in the ideal form of the mitzvah of tzitzis and notice that there's also tchelas in the tzitz of the Kayan Gadol and the eifat of the Kayan Gadol. The Ibn Ezra says there's got to be something that's a connection here. Each one of these things is requiring a psil of tchelas. Right? The Kayan Gadol is begun in the eifat and the and the um, and the male and the tzitz they require they require uh, so for what purpose is that all of which for the Ibn Ezra is that it's a way to remind you it's a way to ensure that you are not going to be nichshal in any sort of sin and the kind needs a number of reminders like that Continues David Ezra, and he says that what I've seen is the Ainam Sa'atavites a mitzvah shlema. 
It's like people just put on their towels by the davening. They're not really doing a full mitzvah because the chiv is really the whole day. Includes wearing a towels when you go out into the marketplace. The riot suris and 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 you're seeing all sorts of things happening. It's more likely that your heart's going to take a tour and you're going to go do maybe something inappropriate because you'll follow after your eyes, right? It's far more likely, far more dangerous for a person to go out and travel in the wrong direction when he's outside of the shul, outside of the minion, outside of learning, than when he is in there. There's a certain shmira that's provided by the learning, that's provided by the daven, it's provided by everything. So therefore, since there's a certain shmir that's provided, there's less of a need for the atifa. There's less of a need for the um, for the wearing of the talents. It sort of reminds me. Uh, I was on a conversation earlier this week, and somebody was asking me about my name being Simcha, and how can I have such a name being in the financial industry? How how does that work? And I said, my parents didn't give English names, so since I had this name. I wasn't going to go out and change it. And it is true that everyone quotes the Chazal, that the Jewish people of Shlashinu's Shemam, that they didn't change their names. But it's not actually true that the Medrash that most people quote, that it's in there. It's not in there. It happens to be a Medrash, a, uh, a one-off random Medrash that does say Shlashinu's Shemam. It's a much later Medrash. And most likely, it's not the Medrash that anybody else is quoting, but it's not in the Tamfuma. It's not in the uh, tiny attic with Josh, and it's not in the Rabbah. So, Shalashino Shemam is actually not there, but yeah, everybody quotes it as though that's a fundamental tenet of Judaism. Anyhow, Ramosha Feinstein and Shuba writes that when you were in the days of Egypt, Shalashino Shemam was vital because when you have no Torah, the name keeps you separated out from the, non, from the non-Jewish world, but after Ma'antara, you don't need to have a separation on the basis of a name. The mitzvah alone, the Torah alone separates you. You don't need to have the protection of the name. So it's a, in that sense, a similar idea over here. We are going into shul and, and putting on the big protection. It's like, do you, is this where you really need the protection? You're going into a house during COVID with nobody there, and that's where you're wearing a mask. Like You need the protection in the places where there are going to be exposures, exposures in the shuk, exposures in the outside world. That's where you need to tell us most of all. So the same kind of even Ezra approach that he says in relation to the Sedra and Parshas, the end of Parshashla, he also says the same thing in the philosophy book in the Yisrael Mera. So now I want to get to this notion that the Ibn Ezra, as I titled this class, the Ibn Ezra against the Rashi, against the Rashbam, against the Karaites, etc. Just to remind what we've said before, we pointed out that according to the Ibn Ezra, the Torah needs to be interpreted in accordance with the Halacha. So therefore, when it comes to a practical Halachic matter, the Torah needs to be interpreted in a way that would be synonymous, it would be in accordance with, it wouldn't in any way be contradictory to what the halacha is. When I'm not dealing with halachic matter, when I'm not dealing with practical halacha, then according to the Ibn Ezra, you're able to interpret any which way you want. 
even if the interpretations go against the words of Chazal. Now, whether or not the Ibn Ezra is always keeping 100% fidelity to this, we've discussed in the past, it's not always the case, but that's at least the general supposition, the general principles that he enunciated. According to the Rashbam, no, the Torah is multivalent, regardless of whether it has halachic applications or not. Right, a very sophisticated understanding of interpretation according to the Rashbam. According to the Rashbam, fundamentally, Shivan Panama Torah means that there can be approaches that disagree with each other, that contradict each other, that dispute each other, and they can both be true. They can both be true at the same time. It's just different levels of access, different levels of appreciation that one is obtaining. Therefore, according to the Rashbam, even if the Torah and the Halacha and the Matik Eshmu and Chazal say X, if the Pasha Pshan Pasik is Y, then we can say Y. The Rashbam wants to come explain to you Pasha Pshan. It's one of the various different Paramatara, one of the various different Shivan Paramatara. So the Rajbam said, I'm going to interpret it that route, in that direction, and that approach, regardless of what the practical halacha says, because the practical halacha is not relevant to what my agenda is. My agenda, my business is just interpretation on the simple level. And it has no impact on the halacha. So therefore, according to the Rajbam, not only can he proffer up shatim that against Chazal in relation to non-halachic items, but even in relation to halachic items, he can put up shatim that are not in tune with the practical halacha. Rashi, as we've said before, as the Rashbam pointed out at the beginning of Vayesha, Rashi's approach to Pshat is a different one. And maybe not what we would call 100% Pshat, what Rashi is doing is effectively reworking many times, most times, reworking Midrashim into Pshat. He does it in, in unbelievably ingenious ways of just cutting and pasting a word here, a word there, it makes it unbelievable. But at the end of the day, for Rashi, as a Dabra Pasha, as a general matter, Rashi is taking the words of Chazal and putting that in as the Pshat, not developing a separate Pshat approach, even though, again, according to Rashbam, in the end of this long piece, the beginning of Ayesha, Rashi agrees with him and his Muskam that if he had more time, he would try to write a new commentary with a different approach to Pshat. But in any event, I mentioned once before in Pasha's Emmer, the Pasik told us that um, that, that the Kayan is not meant to be Matamam to, to who? Who's the Kayan not meant to be Matamam to? And we know that Allah is that the Kayan is allowed to be Matamam to his wife. And what the Ibn Ezra said is that. What does it mean? Like Tama Baal Ba'amav Lechavai says the Ibn Ezra. Really, what it means is Shleitama Baal Bishto, a man, a crayon, shouldn't get tummy to his wife. That's the Pasha Pshat. However, says the Ibn Ezra, once I saw the Chazal say it differently, now what does it mean? Like Tama Baal Ba'amav Lechavai, that means Kit Malishto, right? The person is allowed to be Matama, a regular client is allowed to Matama to his regular wife. And we're only talking about a situation that is not able to be Matama to his wife if she was a situation which was asked to him. So then, etc., that says the Ibn Ezra that when we have the Matik Yashmua say something, 
then we're going to ignore what our Parshav Shad sort of intuition is. We look at the Rashbam. The Rashbam said differently. The Rashbam just said, So here you see the classic fundamental difference between the Rashbam and the Ibn Ezra. There's a parenting halachic matter. Can a claim to his wife? We all halachically, yes. But the Buddha seems to say that he shouldn't be able to metamit to his wife. Says the Ibn Ezra, there is one shot like that says that the Kayan is not able to metamit to his wife. We hold that he is able to metamit to his wife. That's what Chazal taught us. So therefore, the other shot goes out the way, uh, you know, out the back door. Whereas, according to the Rashbam, I just read the Pashup Shah as it is. I don't really care what the impact is because it has no impact on Allah at all. It's just Pashup Shah. So therefore, according to the way the Rashbam learns, the fact that this person um, was was uh, going to be also to, according to the Pashup shot of of uh, going through time at his wife's funeral, so what? So what? Doesn't change the practice of halacha and iota. I can offer my interpretation, which is the Pashup shot is that the Kain shouldn't be time to his wife. And Kachava, that's what the Rashbam does. And if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, what does it mean, like, it means a psula, which is uh, somebody who's made a, a chalal. That's you're not allowed to be metamitu, but every other wife you can be metamitu if you're a kayan. So Rashi's getting that straight out of chazal. So this is kedar ke bakayin, kedar kam bakayin, right? Rashi's taking the maim of chazal and saying that's pashup shat. The Ibn Ezra is bringing down the maim of chazal and the pashup shat and saying the pashup shat has to fall in the way of the Mama Chazal. And then you have the Rashbam, who brings down the Pasha Pshat only, not even the Mama Chazal, and says that no, there's no worries about what the Mama Chazal is. He was well aware what Chazal felt about Chaimim and Tama to the wife that was entirely okay, but it's irrelevant. For the Rashbam, I'm just offering my Pshat. Whatever Chazal say has no impact on what the Pasha Pshat reading of the verse is. Which brings us to our Pasha over here in relation to Tzitzis. In relation to Tzitzis, you see the same kind of a thing between Rashi, the Rashbam, and the Ibn Ezra, as well as the Karats. That is like this. The Torah tells us, very much right? You should make Tzitzis. What is Tzitzis? A fringe? You should make them in the corner of your clothing. Right? You should make the Tzitzis on a corner, so it has to be like a right angle, not just something circular. So and when you when you put the fringes on that corner, also add in a blue, a blue, a blue, a blue line, a blue string, a royal blue type of string, the tchela string. That's the parish of tzitzis in Sefer Bamidba. We have one other time when tzitzis are mentioned in the Torah, and that is in Parshas, in Parshas Kiseitze. There, Torah tells us in the parsha of Kalim, that's how the Gemara gets in Yavamis, the Nachas, the Tzacha, that you're able to have, um, uh, you're able to um, wear Kalim, you're able to wear Shatnas when you're wearing Tzitzis. Normally you can't, right? Karangal also has a thing that he has, that he has to wear Shatnas, maybe is the, uh, um, in, in his uh, Shemite of God, fine. But the, the, but the, Way that the commentaries, the Rashi, the Ibn Ezra, the Rashbam interpret this idea of what is it tzitzis, it helps to also look at the Pasuk and Pasuk Devarim, the only other place where we mention it. Pasuk Yisaitzai says, Gedil and Tasala, 
Al Abak and Fiskus was Rasha to Hasaba. You should make a deal, what are good dealum? Right? A deal the same as Sitzis. So Gdilam sounds like uh, something thick or something like a tassel. So and we're adding in here Al Arba. So here we talk about four corners. Again, right? The corners of your baguette that you're wearing. That's covering you. That's covering you. Says Rashi. What does it mean, Tzitzis? Tzitzis is known as Tzitzis al Shem Hapsilim Atlimba. The baguette is called Tzitzis because of the strings that are hanging on it. Because of the strings that are hanging on it, this is Harash and it stands in the midst of Tzitzis. Says the Ibn Ezra, I can read this Pasuk, these Psukim, in one of two ways. The first way is, says the Ibn Ezra, you talk about Says the Ibn Ezra, you know what it means, Tzitzis, according to the simple reading? The simple reading is not putting on the corner of the baguette um, uh, these strings. No, the simple reading is the It's basically like not finishing a corner of clothing and letting it just stick around. Right? Instead of putting in a hem, instead of making a nice conclusion to whatever it is that one was sewing or weaving or whatever, you leave it open. You leave it open like the hair on your head is open. It's just sort of bushy. I mean, if you have, the more hair you have, the more bushy it is. So if you leave it open um, on your hair, that's the way the tzitzit should look. On the corner of the baguette, it's not finished. It's just sort of a bunch of random strings all hanging around. That's how it's seen according to the first shot of the Ibn Ezra. However, the Ibn Ezra says... We have a second approach. This is approach to Chazal. Because everybody, we've done this the way Chazal say for a thousand years. And the time of Ibn Ezra is a thousand years. We're not going to change it. But we're going to knock out the first comment of how to understand these Pesukim of Pip Shudah We're not going to go with that. What did Chazal say? Chazal said, You have to have a baguette of four corners. That's what we learned from, from Parshki Seitzai. And what is the Tzitzis? These are the Gedilim. In Parshki Seitzai, we don't mention Tzitzis. We say Gedilim. So what we're saying, says the Ibn Ezra, is that the Gedilim and the Tzitzis are the same thing. They just gave it a different name. But the Gedilim, the Tzitziot, are not just unfinished corners of the beggar that are sort of left in a bushy way. They're not hemmed in. That's not what tzitzes are. Says the Ibn Ezra, you know what tzitzes are. Tzitzes are the strings that one attaches to the beggar. So this seems to have been, again, an example of the Ibn Ezra. I'm not sure here if he's quoting the Karaites or who he's quoting, who felt that tzitzes were like this. But again, he brings that as a reasonable shot. And then he knocks it out of the water and says, we have to go with Chazal. Just because there are people that leave the opening of their corners of their clothing and don't sew it up. And that may count in some people's minds as tzitzis. That doesn't work for us as a matter of push of shot because we follow the halacha. And when you follow the halacha, the, the halacha would be clear 
that the tzitziot are not leftover remnants of a beggar that you leave unfinished. No, they are actual um, strings that are attached to your beggar. That's the second shot of the Ibn Ezra, and that's what he stays with, because that's what the halacha demands, even though the matter of Hashem shot, he has a very different approach. So again, this is a Kedaka B'Kadosh for the Ibn Ezra. Right? Rashi, we said, Rashi understands Sitzis as the Psilam. Those are literally the strings that you attach. So for Rashi, there's no question. It's simple. It's easy. But for the Ibn Ezra, it's more of a challenge, because Ibn Ezra sees Parshat Pshat, which is very different. It's not that you have strings on your bag. It's your very bag is unfinished on the corners and, and, and has like sort of unruly hair. And that's the Tzitzis. For the Ibn Ezra, Chazal disagreed. So if Chazal disagreed, then the other track goes away totally. And instead of that, what Chazal said, which is that the psilim, the, the gedilim, the, the strings, are not the random stuff of a clothing that's not finished. It is, it is strings that are attached to the beggar. That's the approach of the U.S. What about the approach of the Rajbam? The approach of the Rajbam. Again, Kedaka Bakardish, right? Says the Rashbam, you know what it means, Gedilim? Gedilim is Tzitzis. Gedilim uh, that we're talking about. I'm sorry, the Rashbam here in, in, in Shlach, not the Rashbam in Devar. The Rashbam here in Shlach says, we know what Tzitzis are, can we Tzitzis Bereshi? Kevutzas Pesilim Teluyin Kesar Harish. They are a gathering of strings, <laughs> and are hanging like the hair on your head hang. Now, it's not 100% clear to me <coughs> what he means. Right? When Rashi said, what does it mean, Tzitzis? Tzitzis was Hashem HaPsilim. It was called Tzitzis on the basis of the Psilim, on the basis of the of the strings that are attached to the baggage. But the Rashbam says, what is the tzitzis? It's kivutas psilim tzluyin kisarosh. They are the gathering of strings that are hanging like the hair on the head. What do you mean like the hair on the head? Why, why would it be like the hair on the head? The hair on the head sounds potentially like the Ibn Ezra, which is, it's unfinished. I'm not 100% clear, but if the Rashbam is adopting the first approach of the Ibn Ezra, which would be against the halachic understanding of what it is tzitzis, the Rashbam would be saying that on the basis of our parsha in Shlach. However, if you look at the parsha in Parsha Kiseitse, where it says, there, the Rashbam says, you know what Gedilim are? Gedilim are tzitzis. The Gedilim, which potentially sound big, Gedilim Gadol, right? It sounds like large tassels, is Tzitzis. And what we're learning out from Gedilim is Tzarshi, hey, Gadol Vakiloa. It has to be big and woven. That is. For the Rashbam, in Pashas Kiseitse, we are explaining new halachas in relation to the Tzitzis that weren't fully developed in Parsha Shlach. In Parsha Shlach, we just knew that in the corners of a Beged, you will be reminded of HaKadosh Baruch Hu by having the Psilts Chelas, 
The question was whether or not there was a need for additional strings on the baguette, or was it sort of just the unfinished baguette that was there, and that was is what we're talking about, is the quote tzitzis. So we said for Rashi, it's a non-star. It's obviously tzitzis are the psilum. It's all strings. It's not uh, attached to the baguette. It's not just from the strings within the baguette itself. Fine. And we said that for the Ibn Ezra, he brings down two options and goes with the second option. And of course, it means strings attached to the baguette, just like the way we were at tzitzis. But in relation to the Rashbam, we're left a little bit, not 100% clear. On the one hand, he's saying, now what does Sitzis mean? It means the same Pasuk as the Ibn Ezra used. It means Kvutas Psilim Tuluyin Kisayarosh. It's a gathering of strings that are like the hair on the head. They are like the hair on the head. Sounds like perhaps they're unfinished or perhaps they're strings that are added. It's not 100% clear. But from Parsky says where he says that Gedilim are for sure tzitzis, so then you see that the Gedilim, the, the woven and the big strings, that is tzitzis. So then for sure the Rashbam holds that as a matter of Parsha Pshat, like the Chazal. So here he's not going against Chazal and holds it as a matter of Parsha Pshat. It's Parsky Seitz, which is illuminating and elucidating Parsha Shlat. Just conclude with that here. With the uh, the carrots, so here in in in, in Parsha Shlach, the Ibn Ezra doesn't mention the carrots. He just says two pshata. But in Kiseit, he brings down the carrots. That they want to suggest that the tzitzis is a different kind of a beggar for the night and a different kind of beggar for the day. Mark, because it says Al Arba Right, you're covering yourself. When are you covering yourself with the bag? When you go to sleep. You could have potentially understood that you're covering yourself, you know, just as a matter of getting dressed. But now he wants to say that's what it means, is that you're covering yourself because otherwise you would have not been. Um, otherwise, you would, according to uh, uh, the, the, the Makishim, the, the Karaites, you have separate, it it's a separate talus for the day and for the night. And then... The Ibn Ezra says, but Chazal disagreed. Chazal said it's the same thing. Gedil and Ta'asalach is just further elucidating what the Mitzvah and Parsha Shalach is about the Tzitzis. And that's what we have to go with, which is that the four idea of four corners we learn out from Devar, we don't see that here. Um, so we learn out certain halachas in relation to Tzitzis that we wouldn't have otherwise known. For example, Shan is the whole Parsha over there. No parasha is dealing with Kalayim and the like, and we put in Tzitzis there, so Marlon down your vomits, right? That, that shotness is allowed when it comes to wearing Tzitzis practically, how often we don't do it, but that's for not, not, not for right now. Just conclude that according to the Karites and according to the Samaritans, they don't wear Tzitzis the way we wear Tzitzis. According to the Karites, they wear Tzitzis and they, they try to make their Tzitzis look like a chain. So it doesn't sound like the Tzitzis, and I looked online, the pictures of the Karite Tzitzis. They're not the kind of tzitzis that one associates with the Ibn Ezra that is made from the baguette. It's not made from the baguette at all. It's it's much thicker kind of a tzitzis than the ones we would do. And they don't have a thing about tzitzis, any blue kind of a dye is sufficient. And that's how they wear their tzitzis. And they don't like it when you say, oh, you hang up your tzitzis in the middle of your house or east of my tzitzis. They get offended about that. And if you look at some Karabite websites, you'll see that they say, 
They wear the scissors too. They just have different looking scissors than we do. They're also wearing it. And they say, and it says in Pasukin, it's on the clothing. And it says it in, in uh, in some. So it's for sure talking about clothing, not hanging it up in the house. You're wearing it. That's number one. Also, the Samaritans, which is another sect, right, where they don't take Tarshav al pet. They also have an idea of tzitzis, and their tzitzis are, are sort of like a gown that's worn over their clothes and on their holy days. And the tzitzis are 22 buttons on the right lapel of the, of the gown. And the corresponding loops on the left side. That is another approach to those that don't have a tradition as to how they read these psukim and came up with the notion of tzitzis. But as we know from the Gemara and Shabbos, when the, one of the people wanted to be a gear was trying to insult, um, was trying to insult the intelligence of Shammai by saying he wants to convert, but along with Tarshav and Shammai pushes him out. Um, with the Avasabinian, uh, and then he goes to Hill, and Hill is very warm to him. And he told him, right, that here's the Aleph page. The next day, he read him Atbash. The next day, he tells him Aleph is a tough, etc. So the guys are going to understand yesterday, he told me something different. Says the Hill, no. We, you have to rely on me. If you rely on my teaching yesterday, I'll tell you what's A is B and C and all this and that today. You have to rely on me also. If I'm telling this entire you have to include that in your knowledge and in your study as well. And the same over here, for those that don't have an oral tradition, you can open up the Sokim at every generation and just do what, whatever it is that you like. But even the Rashbam, who feels free and not constrained to offer Pshatim, that are not necessarily in accordance with the concepts of Halacha, here, he is constrained. Why? Because Pashat, you have a Parsha and Devarim, Parshat Kiseitse, that is elucidating and illuminating the midst of Sitzitz Kachamas.